You know, there are benefits when you sacrifice for the right thing. Recently, um, I, I bought a, a new pair of shoes, new pair of kicks. I'm going to zoom in here so you can see them even better. Look at that. Those are, those are sharp looking shoes, I think. Uh, but I paid a, a premium price for them because I went to a, a premium shoe store in order to get them. The reason I went to a, a premium shoe store was because every time I'd been running over the last few weeks, I'd been getting uh, serious toe pain in my big toe of all things, like I had bruised it somehow, and that didn't seem right. So I wanted to go and see if there was anything I could do in order to improve them. And, you know, I wanted a new pair of shoes simply because my, uh, well, my shoes were pretty old. They'd been around for a while, so it was time for a new pair. And... I got some of the best customer service I'd ever gotten for the price that I paid. When, when I told them my issue, they said, no problem, we'll scan your foot. And they had me stand in a, a spot, you know, just no bigger than the screen right here, to kind of my, my width. And I stood there on this special circle and they took a complete photo of my foot. It was incredible. And so I got shoes, I got... Uh, some inserts. I got some, you know, some running socks that are, you know, light um, wicking material, that sort of thing to keep moisture away and and paid quite a bit of money. But I was, it was worthwhile for what I got in return because there were so many benefits uh, to having my foot uh, scanned. Not only did I get a good quality pair of shoes, not only did I get uh, great inserts that my, my feet feel comfortable all day in them, when I went to pay, they said, hey, since you're paying over this X amount, you get a gift card to a local store. And I, I picked one uh, from McCann's Local Meats. Uh, I've never been to McCann's Local Meats, but I want to go simply because it has the word meat in it. And uh, they gave me a rebate for the socks that I purchased uh, because those were the ones they had asked me to try on. It was it was great because I got all of these additional benefits by sacrificing, by paying for a premium product. And there's a lot of benefits that we've been talking about here in our series called Living Hope from the book of 1 Peter that talk about the benefits of what we gain when we sacrifice for God, when we do good to other people. And I'm not talking about the good that other people say is good. I'm talking about the good that God says is good. You know, the kind of good that's rare in the world today. The kind of good that cares for those who hurt us, that loves our enemies, that sacrifices, that even dies for them and is a blessing to them, even when they aren't a blessing to us, even when they don't deserve it. The kind of benefits that we get are you know, we get blessings from God. We gain truth in our lives. We promote truth with our lives. We gain peace in our lives. We become peacemakers in life. We get the attentiveness of God. We sort of gain his, his favorable ear. His pleasure is on us rather than his face is turned toward us and he's displeased with us. Not only blessing, there's reward from God. Last week, we talked about how one of the rewards that we get when we sacrifice like that for God is that we get, it removes the fear of what other people might think of what we're doing. 
because we're concerned with what God thinks about what we're doing. And we gain a reward that lasts forever. And at the risk of sounding like this is a, an infomercial, but wait, there's more. Peter's not done in describing all of the benefits, the hidden benefits of being a blessing, especially to those kinds of people who hurt us. And he says this in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. Whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. I don't know about you, but that sounds like an amazing offer, doesn't it? Like, we gain blessings from God, we gain reward from God, and now we overcome sin? How does that work? What does that look like? Well, sinful desires ultimately are the things that tell us to pursue, this is what's going to make you feel good. This is what's going to give you satisfaction. This is what's going to give you purpose, power, and meaning, and pleasure. What God wants you to do is to focus on him, to focus on his glory, his power, his pleasure, and let your life point to him. Our sinful pleasure says you shouldn't point that to God, you should point that to yourself. And so what Peter is telling us is that you need to be careful what you pursue. What do you want to pursue in life? What do you desire most of all? Do you desire things for you, or do you desire things for God? If you have that attitude of Jesus where you desire things for God, you begin to overcome sin. Now, he's not talking about our need for a Savior, but this is it's, he's talking about the fact that we have a Savior, we have been saved, and now when we're tempted to sin, we can overcome that by having the attitude of Jesus, which is amazing to me. In other words, kind of like what we've been saying through these last few weeks, we all suffer in life. Suffering is non-negotiable. Everyone suffers in life. Even Jesus suffered in life. But we can influence what we suffer for. We can choose to influence what we will suffer for. We can choose to influence who we suffer for. So how does this work? How does it work being like Jesus, suffering like Jesus, allows us to, over, to overcome sin. Well, two things need to happen. The first is, to overcome sin, as the verse said, we need to have the same attitude as Jesus. But there's more. Let me show you. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because whoever suffers in the body is done with sin. As a result, they do not live like the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living with debauchery, lust, 
drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you, that they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regards to the body, but live according to God in regard, excuse me, in regard to the spirit. To overcome sin, we need to have the same attitude as Jesus. In other words, what do I desire? Out of this vice list that we saw in scripture, all of them have a similar commonality. It is what we what we find pleasure in, what we ultimately want to find pleasure in, that if we indulge in ourselves, if we take what we want for ourselves, regardless of what it does to others, that's always going to give us pleasure. In other words, it's living, it's kind of the, the world's conclusion. It's the normal human conclusion to, if I can get away with anything, I'm going to live for me. I'm going to do whatever I want to bring myself pleasure And Jesus says, the thing that's going to bring me pleasure is actually not living for myself, but living for God. And we start to see the will of God show up in our lives. And what motivates us to think this way, what helps motivate us to think about who do I live for, is simply this statement. Jesus is the one who will judge the living and the dead. Jesus is the final judge, and since he is the judge, since he is the one who will determine whether people lived well, whether they lived for God, or whether they lived poorly, whether they lived evilly by living for themselves, is the one who says you need to have this kind of attitude. He's our judge. Jesus isn't just our savior, he is our judge, and that becomes so helpful and so clear because we don't have to worry about, again, what other people think. And they will say, why don't you live for yourself? Why don't you grab your piece of the pie? Why don't you get everything that you can, even if it hurts someone else? You would say, because Jesus is my judge and he decides what to do. When I was uh, writing my dissertation, um, I enjoyed all of the research that I got to do. Uh, my, My project was based on how, I wanted to discover how is money raised for new evangelical ministry initiatives. Um, I'm convinced that all the time, just like we talked about uh, when we talked about Great Commission Day, that uh, God is offering new wineskins, new ways for ministry to be done, and that ministry needs to be funded by his people. That's one of the reasons why he blesses us with the resources that we have. It's not just all for us but we are to use a portion of that, a tenth of that, a tithe of that, and then be generous beyond that in supporting his work around the world. And I wanted to see how that worked because there are things that we like and we support. There are things that church leaders like myself, um, denominational leaders, parachurch ministries all come along and say, you need to support this. This is something worthwhile giving to. And you can't give to all of them, so which one do you choose? And so we pick the ones we like, and sometimes that crowds out the ones that we may not pay attention to. So I wanted to know, how is money being raised for new ministry initiatives? How are we getting more people involved? How are we helping people become more and more sacrificial and generous 
uh, to God's work. So I got to interview a number of people from Christian evangelical organizations and from secular nonprofit organizations to see how is it that they were able to raise uh, funds for their endeavors and what it was that they were doing. It was great until I had to write the paper. The paper is a nightmare. I like to write as if I'm able to then read it out loud to someone, but there were rules about writing the paper. Actually, let me show you what the rules were like. This is just a, a quick scene of the things that I had to do in order to make my paper work. Uh, you had to have a two-inch top margin on certain pages, a two-inch bottom margin on, two, on certain pages, and then sometimes it'd be one inch, sometimes it'd be four inches, and it would change over and over and over again. We had to have like weird different spots for the title page, and you always had to have the dots going to the, to the right page, and you had to set it up that way. You had to have uh, the, the page numbers perfectly in a particular format. Sometimes it had to be capitalized and double-spaced. Sometimes it was single-spaced. If you were quoting illustrations, you had to do something uh, totally different for each of the illustrations uh, to make those work. And it went on and on and on and on, as you can kind of see on the screen. It was exhausting to try and write this way. I would submit a chapter of my dissertation. It would be over a hundred pages and I would get it back saying, you're not following the right format. And it made me frustrated over and over again. And it's why every doctoral student Every person writing a research paper or a dissertation paper will always hire an editor. And sometimes you will pay up to and over $1,000 to get this right. Why? Because if you don't get it right, you won't graduate. Your paper will not be accepted. It will not be published. In other words, I don't get to decide what my research has to look like. I have a judge who decides what my research gets to look like. And I did whatever it took in order to get that paper into the right format. That's the kind of attitude that we have to have when it comes to doing good for God. No matter what it takes, I will get into the proper format. I will do what God says. I will spare no expense to make sure that I have the right attitude. That doesn't mean we can't enjoy good things in life. That doesn't mean we can't have fun hobbies. We can't enjoy uh, good food, good company. We can't enjoy vacations. We can't own nice things. That's, that's not what Peter is saying. What he's saying is, recognize that there's only one who is good, which is what Jesus himself said in the Gospels. Why do you call me good? There is only one who is good. And what he says is, that one who is good gets to decide if we have the right attitude or not, who gets to decide if we have a good attitude or not. It's pretty easy for us Christians. Well, it's easy for me, and it's probably easy for you, to allow the good things that God puts into our lives to become idols in our lives, to become the things that we worship in life. 
We can worship family. We can worship career, our job, our vocation. We can worship our, our nice possessions. Instead of putting all of those things at the feet of Jesus to say, all for you, how can I use this for you? There was a podcast interview on Carrie Newhoff's podcast uh, with Paula Ferris. Some of you may recognize that name, uh, top in her field in journalism. Uh, she said this, our culture is intoxicated with the idea of finding your calling. The most common question we ask others when we meet them is, what do you do for a living? It's how we introduce ourselves. And it's something that we teach our kids pretty early. What do you want to be when, when you grow up? But what if what we do isn't really what our calling is all about? Paula chased, her, our, chased our culture's definition of uh, calling for a long time. She got to the pinnacle of journalism. She was a host of Good Morning America, and she was a co-host on The View. You cannot get higher in her field. And she walked away from it. Why? Because she felt God calling her out of that. You see, her ambition to succeed, and if you're going to get that high in journalism, you have to have that kind of ambition. Her ambition to succeed caused her career to become an addiction. It came first before her relationship with God, before her relationship with others. And God called her out of that. And what she realized is that her calling is not her vocation. That's just a small slice. Her calling is to love God and love people. To love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And to love your neighbor as yourself. What she was doing was loving herself first, then God second, then others third. And because everything was out of order, she struggled. Her health failed. Her emotions got ragged and tired. And so God called her out of that. And she fought for a while, but eventually realized that the purpose and the faith that we have in life, in our great commission and great commandment, are to take precedence in our lives. And the rest needs to fit into that. The rest is secondary. In other words, we have two forms of calling. You have a purpose and a faith calling that is unmovable and primary, and you have a vocational calling that is secondary. So we need to have that same attitude because that kind of attitude where we start to say all for Jesus begins to allow us to overcome sin. Now, there's a second part as well. To overcome sinful habits, you need to not only have the attitude of Jesus, but you need to have the actions of Jesus. Look at what Peter says in verse 7 through 11 of chapter 4. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind, so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love 
covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Just like having the attitudes of Jesus asks, asks us the question, what do I desire? Having the actions of Jesus asks us, what do I prioritize? What do I prioritize in my life? What do I prioritize with my time? Well, Peter says this, be alert and of sober mind so that you can pray. Love each other because that covers over a multitude of sins. In other words, be for people before you're for yourself. Be for them. Offer hospitality without grumbling. And that's hard for me who likes my space, who likes, not, not the website, but who likes uh, my own personal private space, my own quiet time just to withdraw in me. But it's hard when people sometimes demand my time and I don't want to give it. Use whatever gift you have in order to serve others. Do it without grumbling. Steward your, your gifts, your spiritual gifts. God gave them to you and he'll demand an account from you. When you speak, speak God's words. Speak God's truth. In other words, speak for him before you speak for yourself. And if you serve, serve so that God gets the credit, not you. Some of these things for me, I think, okay, I kind of got that one. But in a list like this, there's always one or two things that just go, mm, I don't prioritize those actions. And the reason why Peter is telling us to prioritize these kinds of actions is because he's saying discipline matters, that nature abhors a vacuum. And you don't just develop a new attitude by saying, okay, I want this attitude. Attitude. It doesn't work like that. You've got to get rid of the old activity and replace it with something else, with something new. So do the things that Jesus prioritized. Make room for new habits. And that includes when we're overcoming sin. As you are getting rid of sinful habits and sinful focuses, replace them with righteous habits, with righteous focuses, with righteous activity. If you're quitting something, for those who are overcoming an addiction, like uh, smoking, for example. Smokers know that they can't just 
sit there and say, okay, I'm not going to think about smoking. I'm not going to think about smoking. Because as soon as they do that, they're automatically thinking about smoking and the rush that comes when they, when they have the nicotine enter their system and how the stress goes down. And it just makes them want that more and more and more. What oftentimes smokers do is that they will get themselves busy with something else, something to replace and distract them from those desires until those new habits foster the attitude that they want, where they can think about having a smoke, and they go, huh, I don't really want that anymore. I don't have that same addiction. That's the kind of circular thing that happens as we are developing this kind of attitude that allows us to overcome sin. We pursue and prioritize in our calendars the actions that Jesus says we are to pursue. For us, you know, cleaning our house uh, takes this kind of priority too. For us here, if we don't designate that this is a place, this is a spot, this is a cupboard where only these things go. For example, a, a linen closet, for example. If you don't designate that this is only for linens, then everything will end up in there. Cleaning supplies, toys, you name it, everything will get in there. And then when everything's everywhere, you're completely disorganized and you don't know where anything is. So you designate it that this is where uh, this is going to go. This is where this is going to be. The linens go in the linen closet and nothing else. And that allows you the discipline to then say, oh, I know where the linens are. They go here. And it becomes so much easier to get around your day. If you don't fill that spot with only linens, then everything will go in there and you won't know where everything or anything is. And the same is true with our daily calendar, our weekly calendar, our monthly calendar. I read once that a calendar is not a place where you just get things done. It's a place to plan who you become. And so you get a chance to say, this is going to be my time block to pray. This is going to be the time block where I serve. This is going to be the time block where I talk to others and speak the words of God to them. And you intentionally pursue those times. And if you don't free those things up, you will never develop the attitude of Jesus that allows you to break free of sinful habits. And this is not a one-and-done decision. This is a regular occurrence where we need to constantly be evaluating, am I doing the best with my time? Am I doing the best with my resources? Am I doing the best in my relationships to show the actions, actions of Jesus in these moments? And the question becomes, when I'm faced with a decision about my priorities, about what I do in my day, what I say I'm going to do in my week, would the actions of Jesus rise to the top or would they get pushed to the wayside? So it's a regular pattern that we have to put these into place. And then they become cyclical. One feeds off the other. The habits develop, the discipline comes, and then we start to develop the attitude where we see the benefit, we see God's will being poured out in us and through us, around us in our world. It affects our families, our workplaces, our neighborhoods. And then that begins to create a desire to do more for God. And it becomes a cyclical following 
in Jesus' footsteps. And what I've described is what it means to be a Christian. What Peter is describing is the act of following in Jesus' footsteps. It can often come across as harsh to see a list like this and think, I'll never measure up, I'll never get there. But friend, let me tell you this. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. That your past does not have to control your future. And if you've never given your life to Christ, and you want to follow in his footsteps, you want to overcome sin in your life, then it simply starts with yielding to him and accepting him as your savior and choose to follow him the rest of your life. And if you would like to do that this morning, just simply type follow in the chat. And we will follow up with you a little bit later this week on how we can help you follow Jesus with your life. And if you're a Christian and you looked at this list and think, I'll never accomplish these things, well, today is the first day of the rest of your life as well. You can begin to discipline your life by setting in the habits that would allow room for the attitude of Jesus who surrendered all for God to begin to replace the attitude that you have now. The one that says, but what about me? And as you do that, you begin to grow and follow him. And you can make that choice today as well. One of my favorite all-time television shows is The West Wing. And one of my favorite episodes in all of the seasons uh, was an episode where the president was considering re-election. And he had just, it, a, a scandal had been uncovered where he had covered up a medical condition that could prevent him from actually continuing the presidency. He had a medical condition that might uh, come up during his presidency where he would no longer be fit uh, to run the country. And that had become public. And of course, uh, they're supposed to have medical records released. They covered it up. They covered up this condition. So people didn't know. It became public. And of course, his opponents jumped all over it. Uh, all sorts of people started to call him unfit and, and so on. And he was wondering if I should run. Well, he decided to. And the scene that I remember the most about that episode was that his White House staff, all of his sort of key people in all the different uh, areas and departments were all kind of hanging out outside of one of their homes on some apartment steps. And uh, they were talking about whether it would be worthwhile moving on from the president's team, because not only would they have to run the White House for the remainder of his term, they would also have to add on the additional work of trying to get reelected, and then they were going to have to deal with this scandal that had been uncovered. And they were all wondering if it would be worth continuing in that. And after a long pause, one of the characters said, one of my favorite characters, said, I serve at the pleasure of the president. 
one by one. Each character looked at each other and echoed that phrase, I serve at the pleasure of the president. Jesus' attitude and actions demonstrated that he served at the pleasure of his heavenly father. Let's follow in his footsteps. Let's give all for Jesus. Here's some discussion questions for you to talk around your table, uh, your living room, and in your growth groups this week. Question one. What comes to mind when you think of the phrase, all for Jesus? Question two has two parts. Starting this week, how can you cultivate the attitude of Jesus in your life? And to be, how can you develop, starting this week, how can you develop the actions of Jesus in your life? Let's serve at the pleasure of our Heavenly Father. May our attitudes and actions reflect that because they reflect and follow in Jesus' footsteps. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to develop the attitude of Christ who said, all for you, Father. May we give, serve, live with all of our time, with all of our possessions, with all of our gifts, with all of our speech, with all of our opportunities. Let us live for your pleasure. May you help us to develop the actions that we need. Make space in our priorities so that we develop the attitude of surrender, of sacrifice that Jesus had. And may we enjoy the freedom of the temptation of the draw to live for ourselves instead of you. Lord, would you help us to follow, we, I pray, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.